And uh, so I'm glad that you are here. And we have some folks out sick and uh, some winter visitors who are planning to come. They're not back yet. Uh, some who aren't going to be able to make the trip this year because travel's a little more awkward. So, uh, but we're glad that you are here. Hopefully, you're taking advantage of the reminder, 30 days of thankfulness, and that you are giving thanks every day for something. So real quick, real quickly, just pop up, just quick, short answer, something you're thankful of today. Boy, that was real short. I couldn't even hear it. It was so short. Thankful for the baby. All right. Answered prayer. My mom's sense of humor. Yeah, <laughs> her mom's sense of humor. Health. Birthday party for Juliet. That's fun. God's in control. Sovereignty. I thought you were raising your hand. You were pointing back. Okay. Being in church, I'm thankful that we can be in church, and I, I really enjoyed the kids' choir singing. It was fun to have the Brady girls up there. Brandon told me, he said, well, we have to be here every Sunday night because her girls want to sing, and they did a good job singing. That was great. That was really, really beautiful, fun to have them. I hope you're praying for folks. We got some folks out sick. Some who were here for Sunday school had to go home sick, and uh, but I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that you're healthy enough to be here, and I'm so thankful for what God has done. Have you gone to our YouTube channel and looked at some of the videos that we have for, for giving thanks? Uh, there's a new one going to be posted when? <laughs> going to be posted soonish, uh, uh, sometime in the next day or two, and, and you'll enjoy that and appreciate that. And uh, I've enjoyed the ones that, are, that have been up there so far. Hopefully you've seen the ones by Megan and Jeff and Sherry and Dennis. And, and uh, in fact, Megan and I did one together to introduce the, the 30 days of thankfulness. And we are so blessed. We are, of all people on the planet, we are richly blessed because we are Christians. Our sins are forgiven. Our home is in heaven. And we live in America, and America is a great place to live in. And some people get all distressed at, at the, the political climate. Well, I do too, but I've also seen the political climate change a lot in my lifetime. I know I'm dating myself, but when I was born, President Eisenhower was in the White House. And uh, some of you are saying, whoa, I read about him in the history books, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, that's what happens when you get older, right? Um, all of my older siblings and I were born when President Eisenhower was in office, and then my younger two were born when President Nixon was in office. And my dad was a diehard Republican, and he was proud that none of his kids were born when there was a Democrat in the White House. Is that silly? Yeah, I, he's in heaven now. I'm sure he overcame it. But uh, listen, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul today. We're going to look at some of Paul's blessings. Now, if you've studied the life of Paul, you know that Paul suffered greatly. Paul endured way more than I have ever had to endure for Christ. In fact, every time I'm going through a hard time, I think, oh, you know, I got it so much better than Paul did. 
uh, and, and just relax and trust the Lord and enjoy the life that God has given us. But Paul had some big reasons for praise that he shares with us the first part of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we looked at some of this a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to look at it from a different perspective today. And we're going to share three of Paul's greatest blessings. Father, as we look in your word, we pray that you would help our hearts to focus. Help us to be thankful, grateful people for the many blessings you daily load upon us and, and bring into our lives. And one of the richest blessings you've given us is to be part of your family to know the Lord, to have brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and Lord, we just thank you for the privilege we have of gathering together. And even those who are at home gathering with us online, they're still our family. They're still connected, and, and, and we greatly appreciate them and, and miss them. So now we ask that you would speak into our hearts and lives, that you would stir us and remind us of these huge blessings that makes such a difference in how we live. And Lord, I pray that we would go from this place encouraged and strengthened in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the first big blessing that Paul shares. Paul was thankful that our faith was verified. He was thankful that our faith was verified. In fact, several people have tried to disprove Christianity, um, I've read several people, Josh McDowell and C.S. Lewis and others, they decided they were going to disprove Christianity. So they started really reading and studying the Bible so they could prove it was wrong. And they all became believers as a result of that intensive study. Uh, our faith has been verified. You're with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, who's he writing to? Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. He uses the generic term brethren to describe the brothers and sisters. I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, not just the Old Testament scriptures, but also the gospel scriptures that had already been written and were considered scripture by Paul and Peter and others. And he said, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, or Paul, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. It means when he was writing this letter, many of those 500 were still alive. But some of them, their body was asleep, their soul and spirit were with the Lord. Then he says in verse uh, excuse me, 7, after that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. So Paul was thankful that our faith had been verified. He knew and talked with the apostles. 
Uh, we can read what the apostles have written, some of them who, who wrote Scripture. We can read what Matthew wrote. We can read what John wrote. We can read what, what Peter wrote. Uh, we can read the epistles from John. Uh, and we can learn from the apostles directly because we have their writing. Uh, but, but Paul got to talk to them face to face. He got to interact with them. And he knew James, the half-brother of Jesus. I, I thought that would have been a cool thing to talk with James about what it was like growing up with Jesus, you know, the perfect son. What, what was it like that, that your older brother never, ever got in trouble for anything? He always did what was right. What was that like? And, and uh, I'm sure it bothered James a little when you're a kid. <laughs> your brother's perfect. It's hard to, to live in that environment. Uh, but he knew James, and he talked with him. Uh, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, who Paul calls that scripture, Luke was one of Paul's traveling companions. You get to know somebody well when you travel with them, especially when you travel through some of the hardship that Paul and Luke traveled in. When you go through hard times and when you go on journeys, you get to know people well. So here's Luke who investigated the gospel and then wrote the gospel of Luke and became an ardent follower of Christ to the point of even joining Paul's missionary journey. And, and so Paul had these relationships and this interaction with these people who really knew the truth. This wasn't a made-up thing. It was known, and a lot of people got into it, and a lot of people understood, and they made it clear, and they recorded it so that we could believe because we had consistent and verifiable eyewitness testimony. I said before when we were looking at this passage, eyewitness testimony isn't such a big deal. But when you have consistent eyewitness testimony, that's huge. Because sometimes eyewitness testimony gets things a little weird. People see things differently and they say differently. But this was all consistent. Secondly, Paul had his personal experience. Now, we don't know exactly when Paul's personal experience with Jesus started, but we know the major turning point. Where was that? On the road to Damascus. Now, why would I say we don't know when it started? Well, because Jesus said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, right? Uh, they had these sticks. Uh, often they'd put them in a cart and and so an ox would, if the ox tried to stretch its leg too far back, it would poke him, and then he'd lift his leg up. Sometimes the guy walking by the cart had a stick, and he'd just poke him. You know, kind of like what Ben did to the boys when they were little. Just kidding, just kidding. He didn't really do that, did he, Teresa? All right, so got this poker, and, and, and so the animal, and so the Lord says, it's hard for you to kick against those goads that that poking prick that's, that's sticking into you. Because it was like the Lord was giving Paul the jab to stir him toward Christ and Saul back. He was just kicking against that. Well, that makes it even worse. Then it really gets in there. And so 
the, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, they'd all been working on Saul to bring him to a point of redemption. And then the major turning point was on the road to Damascus when he saw the light. You ever hear that country gospel song, I saw the light. Well, Paul really saw the light, the Lord speaking to him from heaven. And Paul had a face-to-face conversation with Jesus while Jesus was in heaven amazing experience that Paul had. And he knew and he had confidence in that. And then in Galatians 1, he describes what what one pastor has called a three-year seminary in the desert. Just Paul and the Lord. And Paul getting all of his doctrine and his theology right from the Lord out there in the desert and then revealing what had previously been a mystery and then connecting it to all the Old Testament so you could see the pattern and the plan that God had planned even though it had been mysterious to them. It was the exact fulfillment of God's plan. And then he verified that message that he had in the wilderness with all the other apostles. In Galatians 2, he said, first he went and met with them and went through it all to make sure it was consistent with what they were seeing and understanding. And they all agreed. And then they sent Paul off as the missionary to the Gentiles. So so we not only had the eyewitness testimony, but we had Paul's personal experience, and he describes in that experience not just, hey, this cool thing happened to me, but also I connected it with these other people and verified that it was consistent with everything else. And now in your own life, you also have your personal experience. If you have not yet trusted Christ, you need to. The Bible says without Christ, you're on the road to hell, and in Christ, you're on the road to heaven. And you need to have your sins forgiven and have Christ be your Savior. But, but in your own life, you have that experience. And, and for some people, it was different. I asked Kathy again uh, what day she got saved, and I should have remembered it, but it, it was January 21st, 1965. That was the day she trusted Christ. You were living in Clarkston, right? Clarkston, Michigan. And then she got saved and moved to Arizona. Uh, I was living in San Antonio, Texas, when she got saved, about 1,500 miles away. And, And then when I got saved, we were living in Tucson, about three miles away. Uh, ironically, she went to one high school and I went to another because the dividing line was uh, about a mile and a half between our houses. And so she went to the, that school and I went to this school. Uh, but we went to the same church. And so when I got saved, August the 10th, 1976, uh, and then uh, when she got baptized, it was years before we even met. Uh, but she got to watch me get baptized and in church because we were teenagers together then. And, and by the way, when I got baptized, I was wearing a tiger shirt that I made myself because I made most of my own shirts back then. And uh, it was a really cool tiger shirt that glowed from the baptistry. My dad was not impressed. <laughs> he said, you distracted from the solemnity of the occasion, which was my specialty back then. So Paul was thankful that our faith has been verified. Did you know there's a lot of people who have differing faiths today? And not one of them has verification of that faith. 
I worked for a short time when I was in Texas. I got a job and I worked there for eight weeks and then got laid off. And, and uh, I was the latest hire, so I was, you know, last in, first out. <laughs> the last person hired, first person laid off. And in those eight weeks, I got to get to know a lady. We ended up working the same shift. So we ate lunch at the same time when most of the workers ate at a different time. And we had to cover our work areas where they ate. And then we had lunch and we started talking. And she was raised Buddhist. And we talked about things that are similar uh, between, you know, the kindness the Bible teaches we should have and that sort of thing. And I said, but there's a big, huge difference. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Buddha's still dead. And uh, over a course of a couple of weeks, she then came to church, and she got saved, and then I lost my job and got sent somewhere else. So I think God put me there just to reach that lady for him. Uh, but, you know, we have this faith that it isn't just, oh, man, I really hope this works out. It's clearly proven in Scripture over and over and then we have the affirmation of people that we know and love and respect having this ongoing relationship with Christ. And then we have it on the inside. We know the Lord Jesus Christ personally, intimately. We don't just read about Him. We converse with Him and we listen to Him and we're guided by Him through the power and work of the person of the Holy Spirit. So we have a consistent faith, and our faith has not changed. There are groups out there who say they have faith. In fact, some of them call themselves followers of Jesus, but they're changing the rules of their faith. They're changing the structure, and, and it, their faith is evolving, and ours is the same. In fact, we consider ourselves primitivists. We go back to the book every generation. We go back to the scripture. We're not developing new things and, and new... We're, it's all anchored in the word of God, which was given to us by the Lord and by the apostles and we have, and by the prophets in the Old Testament. So we have this scripture and we're anchored to it. Our faith has been verified. You know, there's some days when you doubt things, isn't there? There's some days when you feel like, Man, could this all be true? Yes, it's been verified, and we can have confidence in that. In fact, for me, I go all the way back to the very beginning, right? Before there was anything, what was the first thing? Well, the Bible describes in the beginning God, that's the first thing was God, and then what made things change? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's nothing else anywhere in the world, scientific, medical, anything, that it can explain how things got started and what made them the way they are, except the Word of God. And we have confidence in God's Word. Second thing, Paul was thankful that Jesus Christ transforms lives, not just destinies. He transforms lives not just destinies. So what do I mean by about transforming destiny? What do I mean by that? Yeah. What's your ultimate destiny as a human being? Your life on earth will end. 
And after that life ends, there's two destinies for all people. There's going to hell and there's going to heaven. So when the Apostle Paul believed and trusted Jesus Christ, he went from going to hell to going to heaven. His destiny was changed. But it wasn't just his destiny. Everything changed. Saul of Tarsus was an aggressive and hateful man. If you disagreed with Saul, he would have you beaten or cast into prison. He was harsh and he was critical. Hearing his name was enough to cause fear in the hearts of big, strong men. If you disagreed with his theology, he wanted you to die. Saul of Tarsus was a hard man. But then he trusted Christ. Mark your spot here and turn over to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. He trusted Christ and, and his life changed. And not only his destiny from hell to heaven, but Jesus changed his heart. And, and so we have a, an image in Romans 9 that would never have shown up in Saul of Tarsus. When, when, and by the way, uh, some people make a deal about the name changing from Saul to Paul, and they say, well, Saul meant big man and Paul meant little man. Actually, I think it's just that Saul was the Hebrew way of saying his name, and Paul was the, the uh, Greek way of saying his name, and he became the apostle to the Gentiles, so he went by his, the way Gentiles would say his name, like my wife Kathy, her name is Catherine, uh, but in, uh, in Cuba, what is it, and, and so in Cuba, that's what they called her, and uh, just the, the same name, just pronounced in the other culture. So Saul became Paul, but, but his heart changed. So instead, when, when he was a, a Pharisee, he was harsh, and he was bitter, and he was angry, and he wanted people to suffer. Now in chapter 9, Romans chapter 9, he's been a believer for maybe 25 years or so when he wrote this. I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternal blessed God. Amen. So in the old days, Paul was angry and hateful toward people. And now this new guy, not Saul of Tarsus, his heart's been changed, his life's been changed, as well as his destiny. And now he's Paul the Apostle. And now when people don't trust Christ, he doesn't feel angry. He feels sorrow. He feels grief. And, and he wishes... 
that he could go to hell so they could be saved. He knows that's not possible. You have one life and one chance for believing and trusting in Christ. If you don't do it in this life, you will not get another chance. Purgatory is an invention of people who were not following the Scripture. It's not reality, and it's not explained in Scripture. In Scripture, if you die and know the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. If you die without the Lord, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. Those are the two descriptions in the Scripture. With Christ, without Christ. And there's no in-between. There's no other place. There's people today who say, well, we're all going to end up in heaven. Just a matter of how close we are to Jesus. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus said, the way to God is the narrow way. And the broad way is where many people go. And that's the road of destruction and damnation. And you need to trust and follow Christ. So we see the very people that Paul used to belittle, those other Jewish people that he lifted himself up as a Pharisee, they lifted themselves above others. But Paul wasn't just your average Pharisee. He described himself as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was the elite. He was lording it over the other Pharisees that he was the big guy. He was the, the more intelligent one. He was the one who was the most aggressive, most zealous follower of the law. And he put himself above everyone else. And his life goal as that Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, was to put other people down so that he could be exalted. And now he's doing the exact opposite. I'm willing to suffer so they can be saved. And uh, he, he was, in his heart, he knew it couldn't happen, but in his heart, he was willing to suffer for their sake. What did he do before Christ? He made them suffer for his sake. But now he's willing to suffer for their sake. That's a change of heart. Now, I've shared with you some stories from my own life, and I was a mess, and I was an angry kid, and, and Christ changed my life. And, and, you know, there's something dramatic sometimes when Christ changes people's lives. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I met a guy. He had been a, a gang, in a gang, and he got saved, and Christ changed his life, and he became a preacher of the gospel, and, and stories like that. But some of you got saved when you were really little. Dawson, when he got saved, he was still cute, man. He was four years old, and, of course, a lot of the girls think he's still cute, but... But he's really glad I don't, aren't you, Dawson? He's really glad I don't. So, so listen, when you get saved that young... I mean, you don't have this dramatic life change. In fact, Kathy got saved years before she even met me. And then we'd known each other for years before I got saved. So you don't see that transformation like you can see in the Apostle Paul. Well, what, what you can do is you can measure your heart by the Scripture. If your heart is following God, if your heart is yearning to please Him, then that's a change 
Because when you're born, you're naturally self-centered. You do not have to make a kid want the toy some other kid has. You know, John never had to go in and say, Kimmy, I, I, you go take that toy away from Jerry. You yank it away from him because I want you to go do that. And I, Kimmy just did that naturally, or Jerry did it to Kimmy naturally because that's what kids do. So if you have a heart for other people and you care for other people, that's God changing your life. That's not natural. And if you wonder about that, watch a few more political commercials. You'll know that looking out for other people is not normal in our culture. So Paul was very thankful that Jesus Christ transformed his life, not just his destiny. Here's the third one. Paul was thankful that he was part of a group that worked and served together. Part of a group of people that worked and served together. She's just giving evidence of the natural human condition, right? I was talking about Ivy, not not mom. Okay. Just just to clarify there. I didn't want Aaron coming after me after church. So. Listen, the Pharisees were always in competition. There was a fight. How many of you ever played King of the Hill? A lot of the younger ones are like, what? What is King of the Hill? What do you try and do with King of the Hill, Kimmy? And and other people are trying to get up there, so what do you do? (laughs) Yeah, you... You stay on top through whatever means necessary, right? Uh, Blood might be involved, broken bones might be involved, but it's a fun kid's game, right? And, And so Pharisees had their own version of King of the Hill. And they wouldn't attack people, they would put them down. And one of the ways, one of the parts of their game of King of the Hill was who their mentor was. Now, Gamaliel was one of the doctors of the law in Israel. He was a very highly educated, very respected man. And Saul was one of his personal, um, he was personally under Gamaliel's tutelage. He was, uh, Gamaliel was his mentor. Paul was his mentee, which sounds kind of like gum. And, and But Paul was the one learning under Gamaliel, and he was learning and growing. And so in the Jewish faith, if you were under Gamaliel, you were one of the top dogs, you know. You were really close to king of the hill. And then Saul added to that this intense perseverance. So none of the other guys ever went to the Sanhedrin and said, I'm going to stomp out Christianity. It was Saul who did this. It was Saul who was lifting himself up. And Saul was pushing himself up. And one of the ways they exalted themselves was by putting everybody else down. Kind of like politics today. Uh, And so he's pushing other people down so that he can lift himself up. And that was his life. Every day, every single day, he had to make sure he followed the 613 laws plus the additional ones the Pharisees put in there. 
Every day he had to wash his hands exactly the same way, walk exactly the same way, wear his outfit exactly the same way. Every day he had maybe looked in the mirror and practiced that haughty expression that they would wear. Every day his goal was to make the other people look worse so he would stand out. And Pharisees not only lifted themselves up above the Gentiles, and they not only lifted themselves up above the average Jews, they lifted themselves above the Sadducees and even tried to lift themselves above the other Pharisees. They wanted to be king of the hill. And they pretended to be more devoted to the law. And they quickly and harshly criticized anyone who disagreed with them or did less than exactly what they thought should be done. Have you turned back to 1 Corinthians 15? Because there's another verse in there I want you to look at in uh, verse number 33. I, I don't know for certain, but I wonder if Paul was thinking about the Pharisee environment he had been raised in. And 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Now turn to the beginning of the chapter again. There's a couple of verses here that I want you to look at again. See, in verse number 9, I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul had been humble. Christ had transformed his life, not just his destiny. And then look at verse 11. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now that seems like a little thing in our culture, right? Whether it was I or they. You know, this morning, how many people have taught the Bible on our property this morning? Kathy? Oh, you were raising your hand that you did? Yeah. Kathy Bird did in one classroom, and Jennifer Miller did, and then uh, Mrs. Friend did, and then the Qualls did, and then Mrs. Green did, and then Mr. Pennock did, and now I am. What's the most important thing you've heard today? Well, obviously, my message. No. It's where the Holy Spirit of God really spoke into your life. It might be now. It might have been in one of the other classes that you were in. But see, remember Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Back in his Pharisee days, Paul would have never said, whether you learn it from me or somebody else, we learn and grow. He would have never said that. He would have said, you have learned that from Saul, a student of Gamaliel. And people would have said, oh, yeah. But now, see, that's gone. And now he's part of a group of people and he's sharing. And now he's, he's encouraging people. He said, listen, whether you learned it from them or learned it from me, what really matters is that you believed. That's what counts. And so he wasn't just exalting Christ. He was exalting his co-workers. He was breaking down that barrier that existed for years of his adult life. So they, they, the Pharisees spent a large amount of their time observing with a critical eye, just hoping to see some flaw or indiscretion they could pounce on. 
kind of like journalists, right? But, but some so-called Christian ministries do that too. It is staggering to me the articles and emails that I get from Christians that are filled with hatred for those who aren't exactly like they are. That's not Christian because being Christian is to be Christ-like. They call themselves Christian, but what they're doing is a policy of those who hate Jesus. But in the church, Paul enjoyed Pharisees was um, competition. But in the church, it was cooperation. Whether it's me or them, you believed, and we're all going to heaven and rejoice in all this. In fact, uh, Paul enjoyed working with other people. Uh, when, when he was in uh, Damascus, which believer welcomed him in? Ananias. In Damascus, Ananias came to him and kind of welcomed him into the family of faith. When he went to Jerusalem, which one was it? Barnabas. Barnabas. Now, Paul served in partnership with a lot of people. In fact, he mentions more than 65 by name in his 13 letters. And I made a quick list of them. I might have missed one or two. Amplius, Andronicus, Apellus, Apollos, Aphia, Aquila, Archippus, Aristarchus, Aristobulus, Artemis, Asyncritus. <laughs> Asyncritus is what it, I'm sure that's not how you pronounce it. Barnabas, Cephas, also called Peter, Claudia, Crescens, Crispus, Demas, who later forsook him, Eponaeus, Epaphras, Epaphroditus, Erastus, Eubulus, Eunice, Gaius, Hermes, Hermes, Hermas, both, Herodian, James, the half-brother of Jesus, Jason, John Mark, John the Apostle, Julia, Hunia, Linus, Lois, Lucius, Luke, Manaean, Mary, Narcissus, he probably changed his name so he didn't sound so narcissistic, but uh, Nereus, Nymphus, Olympus, um, Onesimus, Onesephorus, uh, Petrobus, Persis, Philemon, this is hard, but this is, uh, Philagus, Phlegon, Phoebe, Priscilla, Pudens, Cortus, Rufus, that's one of my favorite names, Rufus. I should have named his son Rufus, except somebody didn't like the name so much. So, Silas, also called Silvanus, Simeon, also called Niger, Sopater, Sosthenes, who helped Paul write this letter of 1 Corinthians, uh, Stachys, Stephanus, Timothy, Titus, Trophimus, uh, Trephina, Trephosa, Tychicus, Urbanus, and Zenus. Now, when Paul was a Pharisee, how many other Pharisees do you think he ever named? What was his name? Gamaliel. He never mentioned anybody else. It was Gamaliel and Saul. And that was it. Man, you know, all those names, they don't mean anything to us unless you have a friend named that, right? How many of you have a friend named Zenos? Uh, we, we have friends that, that some of those names maybe, but guess what? In heaven, you're going to meet them. 
And in heaven, you're going to come up to them, and they're going to say to you their name, and you're going to say, oh, yeah, I remember hearing your name read from the pulpit, and I read your name in the Bible. And then you're going to be able to talk to them. And, and Paul went from being this competitive, dog-eat-dog, king-of-the-hill mentality of the Pharisees to let's help everybody up the hill. Let's get everybody on board. Let's get as many people to the top of the hill as we can. And that's a totally different mindset. And that did not happen by accident. It happened by the power and work of the Holy Spirit of God and Jesus Christ in his life. He also mentioned Yodius and Syntyche, but he only mentioned them because they were fussing and causing problems, so I didn't include them on that other list. We are called to salvation individually, but we serve collectively. We love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. And you need to receive Christ, but when you do receive Christ, you receive Him individually. You kids aren't saved because your parents are. You're saved because you pray and confess your sins to God and ask the Lord to be your Savior, and He is. That's when you get saved. And then once you're saved, then we're part of this awesome family. We are connected, and we have partnership with other people. And, and some of them are here with us and some of them are not. And, and I miss Jeff and Sherry and I miss Jim and Jerry and, and I miss seeing them and, and they're special people and I get to talk to them and I get to text with them and occasionally get to see them, but, but it's not the same. We don't walk up and hug each other like we used to and, you know, we wave at each other from a distance. But, but you know, they're, they're family in Christ. And they're part of this assembly of believers. In fact, they're online right now, probably. I often get a text from them after church. And that one Sunday when I said, hi, Jeff, into the camera, when I got back over to my study and I picked up my phone, there was a text from Jeff about that same time. He must have sent it right away. Hi, Pastor. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't have it up here flashing at me while I was speaking. But, but church is the family of God. We're, we're family in Christ. You know, when Bill and Katya moved up to uh, Wisconsin, part of our family moved away. Benjamin and Meredith moved to Michigan. Part of our family moved away. They're our family at home, but they're also our church family. We, we had a double loss when they moved away. And and we're connected as part of God's family. And see, Paul didn't experience that with the Pharisees. With the Pharisees, oh, they would sometimes walk together. They wanted to be the one on the right, you know. They would sometimes walk together, but they wanted to be the leader. And, you know, they'd take longer steps, so the other person had to catch up. And, and they, they were always putting themselves over. But now Paul's trying to get everybody to go along together. We are the family of God. And when we gather here on Sundays, we gather as family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul was so grateful for that. He'd never experienced anything like that. Now, I was raised in a very loving home, and I don't agree with 
everything of my siblings and they don't agree with everything of me, but we love each other and we care about each other. But Paul didn't have that. He was in a very competitive, aggressive environment. And then he found Christ. And Christ gave Paul a family. And he gave you and I a family too. Like Paul, we can be thankful we are part of a group that loves and serves God together.